the issues that affect working people, and we come together to decide as a movement um, which candidates we are going to endorse. And it's in that context that we have this attorney general debate. The news I was going to share was that today's debate was supposed to include three of the Democratic candidates, but one of our candidates, Rochelle Garza, is unable to participate. Unfortunately, Rochelle had a medical emergency that has required her to be in the hospital. Um, we think she's going to be fine, uh, but she certainly can't join us today, and we deeply regret that. Um, and uh, we will miss having her voice in this event with us. Um, I, I think I can speak for all of our fellow panelists. I feel like I can speak for all of our delegates when we say that we're thinking about you, Rochelle, and we certainly wish you a speedy uh, and full recovery. Now, while the statewide ballot in Texas will include several important contexts, we decided to highlight this attorney general's debate for three reasons. Ken Paxton, Ken Paxton, and Ken Paxton. Put simply, the man holding this office is not fit to serve in that office and doesn't belong there. He's under indictment for security fraud. He's been able to use his personal connections to delay his trial for over six years. And he's under investigation and the defendant in a lawsuit around whistleblowing for people who were charging him with abusing of his office. In addition, besides giving a speech at the January 6th insurrection, um, he had the gall to file a lawsuit seeking to overturn the will of the voters um, in the recent election. And he did this all in our name, representing the state of Texas. But on labor, Paxton's record is even more atrocious. He's invariably voted against workers' interests when he was in the legislature, and he's ruled against workers' interests while being uh, the attorney general. So I think Texans are ready for an attorney general who restores the role of the people's lawyers. And when our members knock on thousands of doors this year and make hundreds of thousands of contacts and phone calls, one of our top goals will be to change the occupant of the attorney general's office. Today, we're featuring two candidates in the Democratic primary who are on a mission to unseat Paxton and administer justice in our state. Many of you will be meeting these candidates for the first time, and we believe the next hour or so will help you along in the path of making a decision about whom to support. A couple more preliminaries, and then we'll get right to it. Um, first, I'm really honored to introduce our co-moderators for this debate, who have agreed to take time out of their busy schedules uh, to ask questions today. Um, they have really elevated, uh, many of you who recall, uh, at our last convention, we've had a debate in the uh, U.S. Senate race. Um, and uh, I think you'll notice that the quality of the moderator, I mean, the quality of the questioning is much improved as we've turned to trained professionals to help us. Romer Jeffers is the political, political writer for the Dallas Morning News. Um, we have benefited from Romer's superb, solid reporting and excellent insights into Texas politics over the years. His work has shown that he understands the deep connection between the direction of politics in our state and the fate of working families. We're also joined by, thank you for joining us, Grover. And we've also, we're also joined by Jessica Montoya Coggins, who's the features and opinions editor for the Texas Signal, um, as well as the host of the podcast, Text Mix, and a co-host of SignalCast. Jessica's reporting has included powerful coverage of issues that are important to working people. We really appreciate both of you joining us and look forward to your uh, participation in this debate. Now, for the participants in the, day, in the debate, Joe Jaworski is a third generation trial attorney. He's the owner of the Jaworski Law Firm and former mayor of Galveston, Texas. 
As mayor, he oversaw the rebuilding of housing that was destroyed in the devastation of the Hurricane Ike in 2008, a decision that truly helped working families. Um, the grandson uh, uh, helped working families in the long term while perhaps costing him politically. The grandson of the famed Watergate prosecutor, Leon Jaworski. Jaworski and his wife, Rebecca, have two children and live in Galveston, Texas. Welcome, Mr. Jaworski. Thank you, Rick. Um, Lee Merritt is our other guest who describes himself as an American constitutional attorney who is a national leader on matters of civil liberties and government accountability. With a focus on cases that side with working people, Merritt often appears before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, the nation's most conservative federal appeals court. Merritt resides in North Texas, where he lovingly co-parents five beautiful children and the family dog, Douglas. Greetings, Lee, and greetings to Douglas if he's watching. So thank, thank you for you being here. All right, quick summary of the rules of the debate. We've drawn the order for speaking, and each candidate will have two minutes for an opening statement and two minutes for a closing statement. Um, during the question and answer portion of the debate, the candidate who has asked a question will have 90 seconds to answer. And if a question is asked to all the candidates, um, the, uh, the candidate asked the question will have 90 seconds, followed by 30 seconds for the other candidate to respond. Candidates can address one another during the question and answer period, but if a candidate does address or reference another candidate, that candidate will also receive 30 seconds to respond. Candidates will receive time alerts and be subject to the iron hand of the moderator if they transgress. Um, some of the questions that we've uh, that we that we'll uh, ask reflect suggestions we solicited from union members um, across the uh, state for this debate, and we have requested of our co-moderators that they focus on issues that affect working families, but they will ask questions that they deem appropriate as independent journalists. So, everybody ready? Thank you for joining us. And our first, uh, we'll open with a two-minute opening statement uh, from Joe Jaworski. Mr. Jaworski. Rick, I remember when Texas government meant good government, reliable state services, and productive partnerships with local authorities. I'm a native Texan who remembers Texas leaders who served with distinction and made you proud. Governor Ann Richards, Congresswoman, Barbara Jordan, Lieutenant Governor Bill Hobby, Attorney General John Hill. These were giants of public service. Their work, their example, made us proud to be Texans. I remember. But today, Texas is led by corrupt officials who can't see past their primary races. Job security and self-enrichment are their daily purpose, not public service. It's embarrassing to endure their daily selfish contempt for the voters. They're embarrassing Texas on the world's stage. How far we've fallen from that time, not so long ago, when our government enforced safety in the workplace, stood up to powerful corporations, and served working Texans. You can't trust the Texas GOP to lead our state any longer and Texans deserve a Democrat in high office to balance the equation and serve the people again. I'm running for attorney general because I can win the race against Ken Paxton, the GOP's likely nominee. I'm a third generation Texas trial lawyer whose family legacy is no man is above the law. I bring three decades professional experience to this race. I've practiced in courts all over Texas 
and I have a solid reputation as an attorney and a former mayor that voters will prefer over corrupt Ken Paxton. This is the state's marquee race because we can win this contest in November. I'm Joe Jaworski. I'm running to serve as your next Texas Attorney General, and I respectfully ask for your endorsement and your vote. Thank you, Mr. Jaworski. Um, and now, um, Lee Merritt, you have two minutes for your opening statement. Thank you, Rick. Uh, first, I wanna thank the AFL-CIO for hosting this forum where I can share the virtual stage with my friend Joe. I regret that our colleague, Rochelle Garza, was unable to join us, and I'm sincerely praying for her and her family. We look forward to seeing her back on the campaign trail. I wanna take a moment to honor the life of David Friedland, uh, who passed away yesterday. Uh, he was a longtime union organizer for medical workers and the father to a valuable member of our campaign team, Laura Freeland. Laura, thoughts and prayers are with you and your family today. Uh, although my family roots can be tracked back to San Angelo, Texas, back when the region represented the state's westernmost border, guarded by the Buffalo Soldiers, I'm a born-again Texan, uh, purchasing my first home in McKinney, where I raised my four children and our family dog, Douglas. Uh, I'm a former school teacher and a member of the American Federation of Teachers. I joined the Dallas Independent School District as a recruiter, which allowed me to crisscross this great state in hopes of drawing the nation's best and brightest into the classroom to help build the future. After graduating Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, then Temple Law School, I became a member of the plaintiff bar, practicing in the area of civil litigation and workers' compensation. But it was in the federal courts where I found my passion for fighting to enforce the laws my heroes had fought to secure. I'm a proud member of the 4 million Texans that arrived to this great state in the last 10 years. I launched my national civil rights practice in Dallas, Texas, in order to confront the attack on civil liberties by Texas state actors using the protections offered by federal law. My practice has gained international notoriety for combating governmental abuse and advocating for community empowerment. I'm a fighter that has repeatedly stood up to the Republican bullies and won. Considering this historic attack on people's rights by Texas Republicans, I am prepared for such a time as this to continue the fight as your next Texas Attorney General. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Merritt. Appreciate, and appreciate both of you uh, right on time. So that's great. It's a good sign for the rest of the debate. All right, so um, I, I, uh, I, I said that I get to ask the first question. So I'm gonna ask the first question then I'm gonna kind of be quiet. So um, here's my question that I'm going to direct first to uh, you, Mr. Merritt, and then to and both of you to answer this question. If you're elected attorney general, how will you use your platform and your yeah, position? Yeah, like I said, I excuse me. How would you use your platform and your position to ensure that working people in Texas needs are reflected and that they have the protections that they deserve? Thank you for that question, Rick. Partnering with the unions is going to have be paramount to the Texas Attorney General's office. As we've seen for at least the past two terms, if not the last three uh, attorney generals, having a, an attorney general who is sided with corporations and hostile to worker unions is bad for the workers in Texas. I will make it a point to ensure that I keep, I keep an open line of communication with the labor community. As a member of the labor community, I will fight for a living wage for, for Texas workers, for a strong and robust unions and union membership. Right now, the, the AG's office has gone out of its way uh, to make it more difficult for workers to join unions. For example, making it difficult for workers to automatically uh, pay their union fees uh, in, in requiring preclearance. 
I, I would side on on this uh, on the behalf of, of Texas workers and worker unions to grow robust unions uh, to continue to fight on behalf of Texans. Thank you, Mr. Merritt. Mr. Jaworski. Rick, it's important to remember that the Texas Attorney General is not the governor's lawyer. He's not the legislature's lawyer. He's the people's attorney. And so I will take the duties of office very seriously in that philosophy. Specifically, instead of waging a never-ending culture war like the incumbent is, I would return it to consumer protection. And that is the core obligation of the Texas Attorney General. So when it comes to healthcare insurance and property insurance, the working people will know that the people's attorney is on their side. When it comes to utilities and price gouging, like we've seen after Winter Storm Uri, the working people will know the people's attorney is on their side. That's my philosophy. Thank you very much for both of y'all for that answer. Um, I'd like to turn it over to Jessica Montoya Coggins for um, her first question. Welcome again, Jessica, and thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me and thank you to, uh, to everyone who, I know we all wanted to be here in person, but thanks to everyone who very seamlessly turned this into a virtual event. Uh, so this is a question for both candidates and we'll go Joe and Lee first. Could you please talk about your legal background and specifically what are some relevant things that you have done in Texas? Thank you, Jessica. Uh, I received my law license from the Texas Supreme Court in 1991 after graduating University of Texas School of Law. I clerked for the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit as a briefing clerk to Honorable John R. Brown, the former chief judge. Uh, this was an incredibly eye-opening experience. He was a civil rights icon and I learned how to write. Then I worked in an admiralty defense practice representing oil and gas interests and drilling companies and maritime companies. I changed to the plaintiff's bar in 1998. And for the first two years, I made about $12,000 each year. It was rough, but I finally found my stride and I became an attorney for families, men, women, and children who were injured, sometimes killed, and I got justice for them. Uh, when I was mayor of Galveston, I then segued into full-time mediation. I have now mediated literally thousands and thousands of claims to successful resolution. Uh, right now, uh, the biggest uh, word I would say is 30 years of attorney practice in state and federal trial and appellate court. And perhaps the biggest case just to highlight today is when I sued the University of Texas, my alma mater, and each of their Rick Perry appointed regents when they fired 4,500 people at University of Texas Medical Branch following Hurricane Ike. I sued, I kept the case in Galveston, I brought them to the settlement table and made the powerful University of Texas Regents rehire and create a program so that UTMB was saved. Thank, thank you again for the Jess, uh, question, Jessica. Um, the law was actually a second career for me. Uh, I started off in the classroom, and it was while advocating for student rights and for or, and organizing the community as an educator uh, that I wanted to figure out how to better advocate for the communities, particularly around laws concerning housing. So I attended Temple Law School in Philadelphia, and after obtaining my, my law degree, I joined the Cochran firm um, uh, in hopes of using my training uh, to serve, best serve communities. Uh, I, after gaining some initial experience as a trial attorney representing uh, before the, the plaintiff bar uh, representing personal injury claims, I uh, decided that I want to uh, more narrowly focus my practice on advocating on behalf of individual citizen rights. 
And I've thought about where in the country uh, the, the need for a constitutional and civil rights lawyer was most uh, pertinent. And I decided it was in the Fifth Circuit uh, that produces some of the more conservative opinions throughout the country. And so I moved my practice to Dallas, Texas, and I began exclusively advocating on behalf of individuals who had their civil liberties trampled upon or their rights violated by members of their own government. I went on to represent uh, the first family in the history, uh, in, the, in the last 50 years of, um, in Dallas County who had an officer uh, held accountable for the murder of a 15-year-old named Jordan Edwards. Uh, I went on to represent the family of Tatiana Jefferson in, um, in Tarrant County, uh, both from Jean in Dallas County, uh, veteran Damien Daniels in Bear County. I've represent, represented dozens of families all throughout the state of Texas, uh, gaining a national reputation for securing rare accountability uh, for officers where they um, um, uh, where they've typically eluded liability. Thank you. Um, and um, I want to echo uh, Jessica. It's great being here and, and thank you for to everyone who put this together. I think it's important that we be able to hear from from our candidates and congrats to both candidates from for being willing to come here and share your ideas. And I, I just want to say quickly to Rick. I will send him this. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe you went there. <laughs> but, Mr. Merritt, this question is to you. Uh, it's likely that Ken Paxson will be the Republican nominee for attorney general. But even if he isn't, how will you amplify your campaign for that position, given the fact that you may not have the same resources or money that the incumbent or the Republican candidate will have. And is that to Mr. Merritt or? I'm sorry. Opportunity. Who was that for, Cromer? Mr. Merritt. Mr. Merritt. I think he might be frozen. So maybe why don't we go to? Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think this is out. Oh. I'm sorry. Go. Was there an issue with my sound? Yes. Yeah, we couldn't hear you. Start oh, okay. over. Did you, did you hear the question, Mr. Merritt? I did hear the question perfectly. Great. Okay. I think this can candidacy, this race is an opportunity for us to change our tactic. We must begin to drive towards our base in Texas. We must turn out black and brown voters. We must uh, capitalize on the fastest growing block uh, in the history. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, in, in the state of Texas right now, that's voters under the age of 30. Between last presidential election in the in the the one prior increased 400 percent. Um, my candidacy provides a unique opportunity to bring national attention to the race of Texas Attorney General. Uh, I have the resources and the platform uh, built up over years of advocacy with distinction all throughout Texas and all throughout the country. And so this is our opportunity to signal uh, to some of the communities in our in our state who have often felt unrepresented by our slate of candidates. Uh, to show that we have a real commitment to progressive values, uh, to show that uh, we have the uh, energy and dynamism to attract um, uh, voters who have typically stayed home, particularly in off-year elections. Mr. Jaworski, same question. Yes, sir. Gromer, it is important that we have the resources to defeat Ken Paxton. As you know, 
he was at Mar-a-Lago just last month raising money with Donald Trump. And therein lies our opportunity, Gromer. First off, I'm a serious fundraiser. Uh, so far, I've already raised $1.3 million in this primary campaign, and we're not done yet. Uh, number two, it's a national race in some respects uh, against Ken Paxton, Donald Trump's new conciliary. Seriously, I've written a memo called The National Case to Defeat Ken Paxton. And while this is clearly a Texas race and the Texas Attorney General needs to be taking care of business here at home, we have an opportunity to raise money nationwide because, number one, Ken Paxton is Trump's counselor. And if you want to stop Trump in 24, you need to stop Ken Paxton in 22. But secondly, Gromer, he's a vexatious litigant and he's hell-bent on destroying the Biden administration and democracy itself. Am I exaggerating? I don't think so. So I think that there will be willing contributors all across the nation. And as you know, there are no limits. So let's play under the rules that we all play under. And I'll take Mr. Paxton on. He can raise all the money he wants, but he can't hide the truth. Okay. Regina? I mean, Jessica, I'm sorry. <laughs> people, people make that mistake all the time. <laughs> Uh, so once again, for, for both candidates, and we'll uh, go uh, Joe and then Lee. Um, so as you said, uh, Ken Paxton is a vexatious litigant, and he has very much led the way in trying to dismantle DACA. How would you, as an attorney general, lead when it comes to this, especially if you are in the position with a divided state government? Well, thank you, Jessica. And I'll remind that, you know, even as a d divided state government, I think it would be fascinating to be the only Democrat uh, in a, uh, a room of Republicans, because the Texas Attorney General is a statewide constitutional executive. And as we all know, when the Texas Constitution was written, they decided to sort of, you know, atomize the executive function. So it is a weak governor, uh, and the legislature is part-time, but the Texas Attorney General is 24-7. On the question of DACA, just like Senate Bill 8, just like some of these election laws that they've passed, the Texas Attorney General as a Texas lawyer, has a duty under the Texas disciplinary rules of professional conduct to make his or her own examination. And if the position the client is asking you to advance is frivolous, then you have a duty of candor to the court to take a better approach. So on DACA, on abortion, on other matters, I will exercise my God-given judgment as educated in the state of Texas and as an attorney for the people to take my own position. So just because the governor and the legislature say it one way, Jessica, I have my own views. And especially since immigration is a federal matter, these questions where the governor gets to just insert his own opinion and spend billions of dollars down on the border of our money, uh, he would have a different sheriff in town with me as attorney general. Just to start responding, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with my, uh, with uh, Mr. Jaworski here. Uh, we must re uh, remove or withdraw from um, the right wing led DACA. It is clearly that uh, the Supreme on the side of um, um, the right in place. Um, and if, if we're going to, to support uh, 
um, the entire community of Texas, the community of Texas, it's our responsibility uh, to uh, protect immigrant rights. Now, uh, as Mr. Joyce said, uh, uh, immigration is a federal issue uh, that, that should be left up to the federal government. And it's too long, our, our government, uh, the Texas state legislator down in, down in Austin and uh, the governor's office has made this an issue of us versus them. And we have a responsibility from the AG's perspective to stand on the side of our immigrant community um, and, and ensure a fair asylum seeking process to ensure that our immigrant workers in particular have every opportunity uh, to participate in the workforce and to uh, uh, exercise their, their rights under uh, Texas law. All right, let's stay with you, Mr. Mr. Merritt. Uh, Attorney General Paxson has made prosecuting voter fraud a top priority in his office. Would, would you make that a priority in your, if you were elected attorney general, would the prosecution of voter fraud also be a top priority in your office or would that change? Already in my office on all the data has, has indicated to us that there is no such thing as substantial voter fraud that will impact Texas elections. Instead, the number one priority for my campaign, the number one priority for myself as attorney general would be to protect Texas voters and to ensure that Texas no longer remains one of the most difficult states in the, in the country to vote in. Uh, and so what that would mean from my uh, Texas attorney general's office is an office dedicated solely for, to protecting the integrity of voters, uh, to ensuring some of what we're seeing happening right now with voters not getting access to mail-in ballots, uh, would have attorneys uh, from the AG's office prepared to respond to claims of voter suppression, uh, to make sure that our senior citizens and those who qualify, and even expanding the qualification for those who, who would uh, want access to mail-in ballots, to increase voter uh, drop box locations, to ensure our, our Texans with disabilities uh, are, are their rights under the Americans with Disability Act, to reasonable accommodations to ensure their participation in the legal process uh, are guarded. That means bringing back 24-hour voting, fighting for uh, drive-through voting, and, and importantly, ending the frivolous litigation against people like Crystal Mason and, Her and Herbis Rogers uh, in Montgomery County, where uh, it, it, the evidence has shown that Ken Paxton has maliciously tar uh, targeted individuals uh, and, and failed uh, to allow them uh, their chance to participate in the process. Mr. Jaworski, same question. Gromer, I will take uh, the ashes of Ken Paxton's fake voter fraud unit and I will turn it into General Jaworski's voter access unit. Because, Gromer, you ought to be able to call the government if someone is stepping on your voting rights. If you get in line at 6.45 p.m., but they shut the doors before letting you vote. If you sign your name as you do on your application to vote by mail, and you sign your name as you do on the ballot itself, but some busybody in the clerk's office says, well, these signatures don't match, you ought to be able to call the government. In fact, you ought to be able to call the government if your 18-year-old looks at you and says, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. When you say, son, did the principal offer registration to the senior class twice this year? Because you know, everyone, that's the law in the state of Texas. Election Code 13.046D requires every principal in every high school to offer every student who attains the age of 18 registration twice. 
Can you imagine if we register every 18 year old and they make a habit of voting? And can you imagine what a different state we'd have, Gromer, if we inculcate the same zeal at age 18 in voting that they feel only two years earlier when it's time to get the driver's license? We'd be a different state. For a quick follow-up, and just stay here with you, Mr. Jaworski, and then you, Mr. Merritt. So you both have said you would promote voting rights. Uh, how would you do that, and how do you do it uh, when the legislature sort of is passing laws, laws that, you know, at best uh, don't call for the expansion of voting rights? Well, Gromer, you're right. Uh, the attorney general can't legislate, but there are two functions that the attorney general has that the legislature doesn't. One is the power of court, the appearance in court. So in the two cases known as United States of America versus the state of Texas, I mean, think about that just for a minute. This attorney general would reverse the pleadings on the question of illegal gerrymandering and Senate Bill 1, all the voting that we're trying to undo via John Lewis uh, and the America Votes Act. So that's not going to happen, it appears, in Congress. So I will reverse Texas's position, and the attorney general will be on the side of the voters. Secondly, Gromer, attorney general opinion section. Uh, this is a vast, powerful department, and I'm looking forward to having my initials, JJ, and letting all the attorney general opinions that flow therefrom. So that is something that we can do to elaborate on, on voting. And, and I'm serious. I will send a letter every August to every principal. There's like 1,600 principals in Texas. So we'll spend 1,600 stamps, and we'll send them a letter and say, this is your attorney general. Please let us know the two days that you're going to offer registration, and we'll be there to celebrate. Mr. Mayor. I think it's important that the Texas attorney general uses the, the opinion power uh, to explain to the legislator and to the governor when he's promoting these voter suppression laws uh, that the law the constitutional protections for every citizen in Texas simply doesn't allow a state to go rogue. Uh, that means that we cannot pass laws that counter the Americans with Disabilities Act, for an example. And so when I referred to that earlier, it's a, it's a strategy that we've learned as federal constitutional attorneys to oppose some of the voter suppression tactics used by Republicans in Texas and all throughout the country. Uh, it's also important that we use the bully, pul the bully pulpit, our presence in that office, to encourage uh, D.C. to do the right thing. When, you, when Texas legislators, brave Democratic Texas legislators, fought to filibuster uh, the passage of the uh, illegal voter suppression laws uh, pursued by the legislator, uh, I joined them. I went over to D.C. And I, just this past Monday on Martin Luther King Day, I met with Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, and we discussed ways that we could continue to fight uh, for Texans to get protect, much-needed protections from D.C., uh, uh, codifying things like uh, voter uh, automatic voter registration, fighting to pass the John Lewis Justice, and, um, Justice uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the John Lewis Voting Act, and other voting protections at a federal level. So it has to be an inside-outside game. Fighting, uh, using the power of opinion and our presence in the courtroom uh, to challenge unlawful voter suppression tactics and joining the national community and attorney generals across the country to fight for statewide voter protection rights. You're muted, Rumor. I was saying, Jessica, go ahead. 
Great. Um, so currently, Ken Paxton is fighting tooth and nail uh, against uh, getting his communications released in the lead up to January 6th. Uh, so on that note, starting with Lee Merritt, will you agree to comply with and enforce the Public Information Act as an attorney general? The failure for Ken Paxton to comply with the uh, Open Information Act, Act is, has been a source of frustration for me as an advocate for Texas families for many years. And it was one of the reasons I decided to run for the Texas Attorney General's office. Watching families being denied access that the, uh, that the law has already granted them uh, access to is something that must stop. And I, of course, commit to the full transparency that the, Texas, that the people of Texas deserve. I also, I also commit uh, to ensuring that uh, the Texas Attorney General's office is, uh, has integrity in place by having folks from the outside come and review our actions so, so that we're not simply investigating ourselves, but that, that allowing and opening our office up to an audit for integrity from outside agencies to ensure uh, that the AG's office doesn't continue to police itself. And same question, Joe. You're muted. You're muted. You're muted, uh, Joe. Yeah, you got me. I, I, I pride myself on that never happening, but you know we're all human. Uh, Jessica, I do commit to that, uh, of course, and there will be no question that I will be the most transparent attorney general um, uh, in my life. Uh, there, there will be uh, experience that I can uh, draw upon as well, because as a local government official in Galveston, Jessica, for a total of eight years, uh, city councilman, mayor pro tem and mayor, we had annual uh, Texas Public Information Act training. Uh, in fact, I've had so many open records requests asked of my emails and cell phones. I know how that works. And it's just good to not lie. It's good to be transparent. Big difference between me and Mr. Paxton. All right. Uh, Jessica, you go. Mr. Merritt, uh, in Dallas County and, and places across the country where they have Democratic Party prosecutors, they've shifted from uh, to more of a justice-seeking environment rather than tra traditional lock them up and throw away the key approaches. Um, uh, what would, would that look like uh, under a Democratic uh, Texas Attorney General in terms of, 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 of putting resources and sort of ending the, uh, the prosecutions that critics say lead to mass incarceration. You know, I'm so proud of the work that uh, progressive prosecutors have done across the state of Texas. And in fact, in my position as uh, co-founder of the Grassroots Law Project, I have helped elect progressive prosecutors throughout the state of Texas participating in Dallas. Uh, election of John Crusoe, who has gone out of his way to ensure that crimes of poverty are not treated as um, uh, criminal offenses, but that individuals who are found um, in need get access to the resources uh, that, that, that they would need to serve their families and their communities, ensuring that individuals with, in mental health crisis are not treated as criminals, but are, given, uh, are rerouted or diverted to locations that provide them uh, both the mental health services and the resources that they need uh, to become full citizens. I've worked with the Barrett County prosecutor, uh, the Travis County prosecutors, and, I, and I, I continue to be proud of the work that they do. Uh, but we see an attorney general's office right now 
and Ken Paxton, who has made them public enemy number one. He keeps calling them Soros-funded uh, prosecutors, uh, a, claim, a claim alleging that because they were able to draw on the support, uh, major support and resources from outside of the state, um, where their government has failed to support them, uh, that they're, they're somehow guilty of wrongdoing. Uh, the truth is that that support should be coming from Austin. It should be coming from the Texas Attorney General's office and the $1.26 billion budget that we have to improve the lives of Texans. I will refocus uh, the Texas Attorney General's office as a source of support for these progressive prosecutors and continue to ally myself with them uh, to provide them the additional help and resources that they need to serve Texans. Mr. Jaworski. Gromer, uh, as we know, the Texas Attorney General, as a constitutional officer, uh, we look to the Constitution for uh, his or her duties. Uh, criminal prosecutions, as you know, are assigned to the various district attorneys and sometimes county attorneys. So here is a real opportunity for the Texas Attorney General to change course. Uh, as our cities grow, as they are routinely blue, we have progressive prosecutors and county attorneys, like my uh, home, uh, Harris County, uh, where I was born, we have uh, a great uh, DA, Kim Og, and we have great county attorney, Christian Menefee. Uh, they have innovative plans. As a former mayor, I take this very seriously. Local decision-making authority is key here. So the Texas Attorney General should be supporting cities and counties, and I'll throw in school boards, rather than fighting them for his colleague, Greg Abbott, in this case. They need to take their authoritarian thumb in Austin, uh, in the governor's mansion and the attorney general's office away from local decision-making authority. So as prosecutors in Dallas, Houston, El Paso, San Antonio, and the like come up with progressive policies, I will be there to support them because that is their province. All right, again, uh, questions for both candidates and we'll start with uh, Joe and then go to Lee. How will you establish the attorney general as a people's lawyer that bolsters consumer defense and oversight of public offices, the governor and the legislature? Well, you know, a little known fact about me, Jessica, is I am a lifetime drummer. Uh, I've played in so many bands, I can't count them. Uh, and I love drumming. And as a jazz drummer, there's this great old saying, less is more. You can imagine what that means, you know, lay down the beat, put a solid beat down. So I would say the same thing to Ken Paxton, less is more. Instead of being this culture warrior who's dancing on a national stage where you file suit after suit and then pat yourself on the back every night on the Maria Bartiromo show, why don't you stay home and focus on the duties of the office? So the Texas Attorney General, being the people's lawyer, can make choices as policy matters. I think the first thing you do on day one. I mean, I've written a little menu of what I'm going to do on day one, Jessica, and one of them is identify any lingering litigation against the Affordable Care Act and dismiss it before the lunch hour. Turns out people like health insurance that covers not only what you're going to be sick with, but what you're sick with on the day you pay your first premium. So that's a choice. How about instead looking at private health insurers? I'm a big fan of private health insurance. I like to pay a premium and get my rights. But nobody can afford a lawyer or get a lawyer interested if claims are not paid reasonably or on time. What if the people's attorney simply made a choice upon achieving the office that there will be new leadership who will let the health insurance companies know claims will be paid on time and reasonably in Texas. 
our civil investigative demand and litigation power says so. So it's simply a choice. It's simply a policy choice. Instead of being a culture warrior, be a consumer protector. I, I see this as, again, a great opportunity for the Texas Attorney General's office to side with the people of Texas. You know, before I ever thought about running for the office of Texas Attorney General, I was featured in an article with the Texas, uh, uh, under T Texas Monthly, uh, that, caught, that labeled me the people's attorney. The reason they labeled me that was because of my work with Texas organizations like AFL-CIO, like LULAC, like uh, the Texas Organizing Project, uh, and, organ and the organizing community throughout the, the state of Texas advocating on behalf of Texans. And so I think this question in a bit answers your question, Jessica, but also goes back to what Romer said. Uh, we need to partner with our local prosecutors uh, and, and to ensuring that the Texas Attorney General Office offers them the resources that they need, uh, in addition to helping elect progressive prosecutors. And, and I really want to emphasize, I'm not talking theoretically about what we might do to make this a people's lawyer's office. I'm telling you what I'm currently doing and how I'll expand what, what I'm doing in the AG's office. But instead, uh, we also need to be uh, having commissions, listening to the communities, listening to the workers, uh, uh, discussing with them how they could be best served by the Texas Attorney General's office. That's something that Keith Ellison is doing in, in Minnesota. It's something that we've seen uh, progressive uh, AGs do all over the country, not simply sitting on the sidelines and, and responding to litigation as it arises, but using that office as a progressive tool to empower communities, uh, to respond uh, to uh, community demands, to listen to the citizens and react. Okay, this, this question is to both of you and let's start with you, Mr. Mayor. It's from a voter. So um, no one is above the law. It's heard daily on social media and in the news. And I dare say that most Texans believe in this saying. So how do I as a voter know that you, as the Attorney General of Texas, have the inner moral courage and conviction to follow the law and prosecute anyone who breaks the law? This conviction has let lied at the root of my practice as a civil rights attorney throughout the state of Texas since uh, I first got here. No one is above the law and even powerful insulated state actors uh, who violate citizens' rights must be held accountable. Uh, obviously, the current attorney general has run afoul of that. He's been criminally indicted in my home county in Collin County for the last five years. And in my efforts to protect citizens' rights, my efforts to advocate on behalf of Texas families, I, I gained the, the enmity of the Republican Party and they accused me of crimes of expanding my practice beyond what I was allowed to do. And when they accused me of those crimes, unlike Ken Paxton, I, I, I took it to court. I had, I, I, I showed up in court, I didn't duck it. Um, and, and when that opportunity provided itself, I simply won. I fought for my right to advocate and protect Texans. And I did not need to be above the law. I continue to Texas that the, the, the Texas AG's office has the, its integrity audited and reviewed by an outside agency, including my own personal office. Okay. 
Okay, Gromer, it's your turn to be muted and talk. I, I know your image. Uh, <laughs> I was just wanted to say Mr. Mayor's image is down. Yeah, um, I think he might be trying to save his bandwidth. To, okay, great. Mr. Jaworski, uh, same question. Sure. Well, Gromer, those are words that ring very true to me because my grandfather said them in the United States Supreme Court in U.S. versus Nixon. No man is above the law, not even the president. Uh, what an appropriate mantra uh, in running against Ken Paxton. So the question is, what about me? Uh, how can I assure voters that I've got what it takes? Um, I think, look back to my time as mayor of Galveston. I won a five-way race without a runoff. Oh, the victory lap was sweet, let me tell you. But this was right after Hurricane Ike. And when it came time to use housing and urban development dollars that we were given, oh, everyone loved the new fire station and the new wastewater treatment plant and the, the money for private home rehabilitation. But when the mayor, Joe Jaworski, said, we have got to keep our word to housing and urban development and rebuild our public housing that had been so damaged it was destroyed, and it was time to rebuild. I said, we're going to do it. People didn't want me to, uh, the, whether they were racists or just economically interested and they didn't want competition with the mayor using federal dollars. So it was a very unpopular time, but I appointed a progressive board and we uh, could tell that I wasn't gonna get reelected. So we made sure that we called a meeting before my runoff election expired and we signed the notices to proceed. Three years of federal litigation ensued, Gromer, but we beat them every step of the way in the federal court and the appeals court. Even though I was out of office, I was at the groundbreaking. And two years later, I was at the ribbon cutting. Now, Galveston is actually choosing to build a third neighborhood. So my plan shows that I lived the mantra that Sam Houston first told us, do right and risk the consequences. All right, so both of you have cited reproductive rights as something you'd like to lead in, especially in the wake of Senate Bill 8. However, it is very likely that Roe v. Wade could be overturned in the next few months. So how would you do that? And we'll start with Joe and then go to Lee. Sure. Well, you know, until Roe v. Wade is overturned, Jessica, you're right, that's the law. I mean, Senate Bill 8 is on its face unconstitutional. Now, whether the Mississippi case that could be decided by June uh, reveals that the Supreme Court is hostile to Roe v. Wade and attempts to just abandon uh, 50 years of stare decisis, we'll see. But the Texas case is not going to be heard in this session uh, of the Supreme Court. So clearly the new Texas Attorney General is going to be on board when that case gets heard in 2023 and decided. So I would say to you, just know that I will reverse the pleadings because again, as the people's attorney, that's my judgment call. Uh, I would never pursue a frivolous position like supporting the Heartbeat Act under Roe v. Wade. Now, should Roe v. Wade be undone and it kicks back to the states? You know, all I can tell you is we can't rely on federal support anymore. But what we can do is look at the Texas Constitution and look at the United States Constitution again. I mean, Congress, you know, obviously was repelled by the Shelby decision in 2013 when they found the Voting Rights Act after, you know, 50 years unconstitutional. And now we're trying to fix that with congressional acts. So using your power as an advocate, using your power in the courts, using attorney general opinions, all of these things, including the Texas Constitution, uh, would, would be a way that the Texas attorney general can rescue and support reproductive rights. 
reached, Merritt? I'm sorry. It says the host has stopped my video and that I can't oh. reach Okay, let's start it up. Yeah. Hold on one second. There we go. We're just thank trying to make it to where we can see. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you gotta love technology. All right, thank you. Not today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is so important that the Texas Attorney General's Office takes a strong stance in support of the 14th Amendment in support of respecting women as full and equal citizens able to make their own personal and private decisions about their reproductive rights. And as Texas Attorney General, I would uh, admit, uh, 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 withdraw from the pleadings uh, of, uh, in support of SBA. Uh, and, and as um, was pointed out earlier, if it happens to be that the, the United States Supreme Court decide to move forward with anti-Roe v. Wade law, it's equally important, just like in the voting rights battle, uh, that we go to D.C. and we ask for the codifications for the protections of Roe v. Wade. To, until then, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, and Texas's heartbeat law is, in fact, the violation of the law. And it's absurd, the arguments that they're making before the Supreme Court, that because we've deferred the power of the attorney general's office to anybody in the country, uh, that it's not, in fact, uh, the state of Texas who is violating women's rights. We must stop our war on women. We must show a real commitment to protecting women's rights in the state of Texas, and I commit to that as the next Texas Attorney General. All right, just as a follow-up, uh, if Roe v. Wade does survive the Supreme Court, how would you, as Attorney General, expand and support reproductive rights and access to abortion? And we'll start with you, Mr. Merritt. Well, we have to, in the wasteful and senseless fight against Obamacare. We need to expand access to health care for Texas women. If we, if Republicans really claim to care about the unborn fetus, then why is infant mortality in the state of Texas on par with some third world countries? We have to show, an, uh, and, and, and why are Texas women still uh, some of the most uninsured in the country? We need to end the senseless uh, fight against uh, providing health insurance options uh, to poor and working class Texans. And that's how we protect uh, the integrity of the womb. But in the meantime, the, the decision to protect, uh, the decision, to the difficult decision to continue or terminate a pregnancy must remain the jurisdiction of uh, Texas women. And Greg Abbott and Kim Paxton must mind the business that pays. Jessica. As Texas Attorney General, I will do everything in my power, both in the litigation function and the Attorney General opinion function, to expand Medicaid. I mean, obviously, this is a legislative call, as is the governor, but we have got to have statewide executives. Imagine a statewide office holder advocating for expanding Medicaid. That's where a lot of people under certain income limits uh, receive their health care. And secondly, as Attorney General, I commit right now, as I've said in the Planned Parenthood questionnaire that I filled out about a month ago, uh, I will stop the assault, at least from the Attorney General's office, on Planned Parenthood. It's a perfectly professional organization that provides health care to just, you know, countless Texas women and men sometimes. And planning families is smart. And, you know, I, I support that as Texas Attorney General we can actually have a leadership role simply by our words as well as our actions. All right, uh, this question is to both of you and let's start with you, uh, Mr. Jaworski. 
as you know, Republican attorney generals, including Greg Abbott and Ken Paxson, have been hostile to Democratic presidential administrations. In fact, Abbott once famously said, and I'm paraphrasing him here, I'll wake up in the morning thinking about how to sue President Barack Obama. As Texas's top lawyer, what would be your approach in dealing with the administration of, of Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, a fellow Democrat? Sure. Well, I mean, I'd be a partner, first off. Uh, you know, I, I voted for him. Uh, I, I support uh, many of the Democratic uh, Party's platform issues. Maybe not all of them. I, I really couldn't say right now. I haven't, you know, got a copy of it. But, Gromer, I think the President of the United States and his administration should be a partner. We take their money, and we always have, as does Greg Abbott, as does Ken Paxton. So the hypocrisy right now in our state government is extreme. Uh, our tax dollars... Gromer, you and I, uh, Jessica, Lee, we all pay taxes. You know, it's the law. We don't want to go to jail. And when opportunities for that many to come back south over the Red River uh, are presented to us, our governor, our attorney general have this obsession, and I think they call it federal tyranny. So they, they want to be seen as being big stuff fighting uh, the Democratic administration, but boy, do they want that money when it's time to write the check from Washington. Enough of the hypocrisy, all right? So, Gromer, honestly, I will be a partner to all good solutions. And that certainly includes immigration. Instead of fighting this culture war and demonizing these poor souls uh, and looking for someone to victimize, why don't we just deal with the real villain, which is the Mexican cartels, and let's work together with the Department of Justice. The Attorney General, for example, can you know, put some of our very wealthy budget toward hiring special assistant U.S. attorneys on our dime and put them in the southern and western district of Texas, and let's fight the cartel. That's partnership with the federal government. Mr. Mayor. I have to emphasize that this is one of the things that distinguishes me in this race. I already have a working relationship with the White House, with the Attorney General's office, with senators from the Hill advocating on behalf of Texas families. In fact, I meet with the uh, Attorney General's office and meet member of, members of the White House Council tomorrow to discuss executive orders that the president can take uh, in order to take on, um, uh, in order to take on the, the issues that we were not able to get past or that the United States Congress were not able to get past because of a filibustered Senate. And in, when speaking with the White House Council and, and advocating for specific provisions like ending qualified immunity in Texas, uh, they said that there was only a, a, a certain limit that uh, the, uh, the president could achieve through executive order. And they said if only they had attorney generals uh, throughout the states who would be willing to work with their office in order to uh, follow their lead as they take on some of the provisions uh, that the people of Texas so desperately need. And so in addition to fostering and continuing that relationship with the White House and with um, members of Congress, I will... Uh, foster my relationship with people like Keith Ellison and Kwame Raul in Illinois and Aaron Ford in Nevada and the Democratic Attorney General's Associations, who I continue to build uh, relationship with, exchange ideas, and talk about how we can pursue in interstate and intrastate litigation to protect Texas citizens, how we can partner with the United States Attorney General uh, to see real progressive change throughout the states. All right, in 2020, a judge in Waco refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses. Ken Paxton declined to reprimand that judge going against his own commission. 
what would you do as attorney general if that situation arises under your tenure? And we'll start with uh, Lee and then go to Joe. I would support the LGBTQ AI community. I would, I would uh, respect and, and honor uh, same-sex marriages and the, the protections uh, that they should include. In addition to attempting to deny um, uh, these relationships about love, about citizenship, about equal rights, uh, we've seen a, a protect uh, against workers' rights, and I think it's important that we, we discuss this in front of the AFL-CIO in, in this in this forum. Uh, denying same-sex couples access to the benefits that um, straight couples receive, uh, saying that there is no re uh, requirement under the law uh, for our government or, or Texas governments to respect those relationships and offer those protections. I would completely reverse that behavior. And, and, and use the Texas Attorney General's office as an ally to uh, our gay rights community and an ally to the constitutional protections afforded all citizens under the Constitution. Jessica, uh, as you know, Obergefell versus Hodges is a landmark civil rights decision uh, guaranteeing the fundamental right of marriage to same-sex couples. To the extent any ministerial clerk or a judge refuses to honor this landmark decision, then the people's attorney, the Texas attorney general, will either sue or take some other official action to make sure that these individuals' rights are protected. You know, Lee and I think would agree on this. It's shocking that the Texas attorney general doesn't have a civil rights division in his office. And, you know, it'd be one thing if we cooperated with the Department of Justice on many things. But as you know, Texas is hostile to Washington, D.C., any chance it gets because it sells to the base. The Texas Attorney General's office will have a civil rights division under General Jaworski, and any clerks or judges who don't follow the law will be cited, sued, and brought to justice. Hey, uh, we've, we've touched on this, but let's get specific. Uh, if elected attorney general, what would you do to protect the civil rights of Texans with disabilities? Mr. Jaworski. And I think the civil rights division that I just described would be where those complaints would go. Uh, the uh, Americans with Disability Act and many laws in Texas and, you know, the 28 USC code, whatever code it may be, the American United States and Texas laws protect our disabled brothers and sisters. Uh, that is the law of the land. So the Civil Rights Division under General Jaworski would be where you would take those complaints and where capable attorneys would file suit and issue civil investigative demands to private employers or local governments should they not be doing their job under these laws. Uh, disabled Texans have rights, and in the General Joe Jaworski office, they will be protected. Mr. Mayor. I echo those sentiments. We have to protect the uh, the rights of the disabled community uh, using the laws that currently exist. But I have to emphasize again that this is not a theory for me. I'm not sitting around saying, hey, when I'm attorney general, I will be able to do this. This year, the nation's largest disability rights group, the Disability Rights Association, offered me the National Champion of Inclusion Award because in pursuit of my federal litigation on behalf of Texas litigants, on behalf of Texas families, I have made it a point to rely heavily on the Americans with Disabilities Act, enforcing those provisions that are often ignored 
by the, uh, the governor and in, in Texas lawmakers. It is it's critically important that uh, uh, we include uh, Texans with disabilities in the conversation about civil rights, about social rights, and that, and, and that inclusion has been a hallmark of my practice as a, a national civil rights attorney. It will be a hallmark uh, of my tenure as Texas Attorney General. 